But the thing that has remained the same every single time is space for our one-on-one clients and space for that mantra and space for unexpected extra. And it works. And certainly we have all of the technical bookkeeping. We even have an in-house bookkeeper keeping track of all the data. But whenever it comes to the magical side of getting the clients, that's how we track it. You might be measuring every metric, collecting every piece of data, and then turning that into a strategy for growth. But are you actually creating the space for growth to happen? I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Now, in the last two episodes, I've talked about two different approaches to collecting data about your business, both the numbers and the nuances, and what to do with that information once you've got it. Today, we're going to get a little bit woo and talk about creating the space in your business for growth. Are you actually ready to grow? Can your team and your systems really handle another client? As a founder, have you personally prepared to manage a larger business? And sometimes making space for growth can just mean letting the universe know that you're prepared. I'm talking to Kathleen Shannon, who's the co-founder and creative director at Braid Creative and the host and author of Being Boss, which is a podcast and a book. We'll talk about how to approach data when you identify as more of a creative person and not someone who has a data-first mindset. And we chat about how making space for growth is such an important aspect of actually growing. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's talk a little bit about the the metrics, the key things that you are paying attention to and measuring for your business right now. Um, For my business right now, which is at Braid Creative, it is definitely clients and cash. As simple as that. (laughs) So on the client side, what, what kinds of things do you pay attention to? Yeah, so we service a couple of different kinds of clients. For a long time, we were only working with creative entrepreneurs primarily, but we our agency has expanded and we're now working with multi-layered organizations like nonprofits, higher education, and credit unions. So we've really built out the business side of our company or like the organizational side of our agency to service more than just creative entrepreneurs. So we are really tracking how many creative entrepreneurs we're working with and then how many organizational type clients we're working with. Okay. Um, And on the financial side, what kinds of things are you paying attention to? I mean, it really just comes down to money in and money out. Are we growing? Are we able to sustain the growth that we've had? Um, Just knowing your numbers helps you make a lot of decisions whenever it comes to being able to staff appropriately or price yourself accordingly. Okay. And how did you kind of end up coming to those being the ones that you're paying attention to? Has Have you gone through a process where you measured other stuff and came to these or has that always been the foundation of like what you've been paying attention to? 
Yeah, we still track other metrics like our newsletter subscribers and our social media following, but it's not something that we put too much stock or effort into actively growing. And I would say early on in starting Braid, we were really just tracking everything. It really is about gathering data and starting to uncover patterns and see what's working and what's not. So I would track as much as possible in the early days, but for us, whenever it comes down to it, Deciding to really focus on clients and cash is what makes us a business. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about kind of the nitty gritty of how you are collecting your data. So what kinds of tools are you using? Are there specific thing, pieces of data that you're collecting to be able to do um, any analysis or to figure out which direction to grow? You know, it's funny as you're asking this, I, I it's definitely bubbling up some fraudy feelings like, oh my gosh, I don't do any sort of specific um, data gathering or analysis. And in fact, the process that I've been using since day one that really works for us and our agency is almost a little bit magical and it's called the chalkboard method. Have you heard of it? No, tell me a little bit more about this. Give me, give me the details. Okay, so we started what we call the chalkboard method back in whenever we started our agency back in, I guess it was 2011. And basically what happened was we had branded ourselves, we figured out our own positioning, all the stuff that we do for our clients, we had done for ourselves. We launched our website, we had a few blog posts up and ready, and it felt like this big hurrah, and the confetti was up in the air, and then once it settled, it kind of felt a little bit like crickets. Like, okay, yeah. now where are the clients? Hasn't like, everybody, I, I think everybody's been through that. <laughs> right? And you know, and this even happens whenever you have an established business and maybe you're doing a new launch on a new offering. Sometimes it's hard to get that momentum going. So we were early in our days of starting our agency and we were working with an executive leadership coach named Jay Pryor. And Jay suggested in order to get the clients, you know, to fill that space of the crickets chirping, to get clients, we needed to make space for them. And Jay is a little woo woo, but very, also very pragmatic. And so um, whenever they said, hey, you need to make space for your clients, I remember thinking, I don't know what you mean. There is plenty <laughs> of space. I remember holding my arms out. I was sitting in my home office, holding my arms out, thinking, I got space. Like, where are my clients? That's, so, there's rooms. There's room. <laughs> I'm here. I'm ready. So Jay suggested, I, I had this huge chalkboard painted on one of my walls in my home office. And Jay suggested that I draw 10 lines on that chalkboard to literally make space for these clients. Mm. So I drew 10 lines. And I remember thinking, I mean, maybe not even thinking, but just feeling so vulnerable in that moment to say, I want something and I don't have it yet and I'm making space for it in this very visual in my face way. And I will say like a week or two later, those spaces were filled up. And since then, every single quarter at Braid Creative, even as we've grown into, you know, an agency that's generating millions in revenue and has grown beyond our wildest dreams, we still have that chalkboard. And every quarter we make space for our clients, the kinds of clients that we want. So for us, our typical workflow is four to five creative entrepreneurs a month, and then four to five organizational clients a year. And so every quarter we are drawing those blank spaces 
we usually have a mantra and I know that this probably sounds a little woo woo, but it really does work. So no, I love the woo. going back to <laughs> going back to the beginning, those first 10 spaces, we filled them with some not so dreamy clients. I literally remember being in a meeting with a used car salesman and I'm being so literal here and feeling like I was going to throw up in my mouth a little bit because the whole situation just felt so shady. It was not a dream client. It was not a good fit. And it was a total waste of time. So my sister, who I co-founded Breed Creative with, we went back to our chalkboard and I remember we drew a magnet with the little Cupid's arrow going through it. And our mantra was... <laughs> we are attracting dream clients with cash. So it's not just anybody, it's the right fit. So we always have a mantra on there. We've made space for unexpected extras. We've made space during certain seasons where we want to attract more speaking gigs, or maybe we want to work with a specific kind of client, or maybe we want to write a book or launch an e-course. We have certainly included space for those things as we go. But the thing that has remained the same every single time is space for our one-on-one -on -one clients and space for that mantra and space for unexpected extra. And it works. And certainly we have all of the technical bookkeeping. We even have an in-house bookkeeper um, keeping track of all the data. But whenever it comes to the magical side of getting the clients, that's how we track it. Okay. And visually, it really does help us see even our workflow or how how much hustle we need to put out to close on some more clients in the next month or two. So it really does visually keep us on track as well. Yeah. And I was just, um, I've been going through, uh, who is it? Jocelyn Clay Gly's reset course, which is a, it's a course about working better. But one of the first um, modules she has is talking about visually tracking things that like in our world, today particularly like if you do knowledge work or creative work uh sometimes our digital systems can get very um we don't feel like we're actually making progress you know we feel like we're completing tasks but not, we're not really seeing the progress we're making towards our big goals and that there's this aspect of needing to visually track the progress that you're making towards your goals um, and that there's been some research around that being a, a real thing um, and I think it's so interesting that you have tied that in and basically put that into your system this visual aspect of bringing in your clients and your goals and tracking those goals in a way that you guys can see every day yeah exactly and there's something to putting pen to paper or in our case, you know, chalk to chalkboard. There's something about not just writing down what our goals are, but actually making space for them. And I've had a lot of people ask me, okay, I get it. I get the chalkboard method, but how does it actually work? How do you actually fill the space? And the thing I always say is, have you done your chalkboard yet? And it doesn't have to be a chalkboard. It can be a corkboard. It can be a whiteboard. As long as it's, it can be a poster board. As long as it's large and visual and in your space. I would say, you know, before you're concerned with how you're going to fill that space, actually make the space and then see what happens from there. No, I love that. So on a, you know, client by client or project by project basis, are you, do you pay attention to, um, like profitability or hours? Are you tracking any of that or you're kind of letting it go as it goes? 
Yeah, it's funny. Everyone in the agency, in my agency, Braid Creative, we are all basically allergic to tracking time. (laughs) I mean, we and we get it done, though. So we tend to think about like, what is our capacity? And our method is so set in stone that we understand how our workflow is and we understand how quickly we can get things done from a week to week basis. Mm-hmm. And sure, there are some weeks where we feel a little crunched. You know, maybe we're working right at 40 hours, which seems like a lot for us at this point. We're all parents. We all have lives. We don't, we're not slaves to our work by any means. And so... You know, as long as we're getting it done within what would be a typical 40-hour work week, we feel pretty good. And then whenever we're consistently overextended, we know that it's time to hire. But for the most part, our process is so dialed in that we don't need to necessarily track our time. Okay. So let's talk about maybe some of the things that you've measured throughout the years that... um, maybe didn't work out or led you down a path you didn't expect? Yeah, I think that everyone might be able to relate to tracking their social media. Mm. And this is something that I started really tracking early on, probably out of ego or vanity. But I've really learned that social media metrics for us, they don't matter. I feel like everyone wants a big following And with that, the idea of a big following comes with a sense of probably security or power. And it doesn't matter. A big following doesn't matter. What I've learned is that an enthusiastic following is what really matters. I've personally found that the larger your following becomes um, doesn't necessarily translate to cash in hand. And you might think that if you had 10,000 or 20,000 or 100,000 followers on social media that you would be able to make money in your sleep with something like a digital product, um, maybe an online e-course or affiliate links. And Braid Creative, we have had an e-course in the past and it took more effort to market and sell an e-course as it did to close on one client for the same amount of income. So we found that it really um, it really was about engaging our following versus growing our following. And I want to make sure to articulate that the point of the e-course wasn't necessarily to make a ton of money. It was to offer our expertise in a more broad way and to make it accessible to people who didn't have the resources to work with us one-on-one. So I will say as we shut down our e-course and decided to stop focusing on that and focus more on one-on-one clients, Um, We took the time that we would spend marketing the e-course and just generously giving it away with our gifts of knowledge on our blog and in our newsletters and on my podcast. So instead of spending the effort marketing this e-course, you basically just put the information out there. I mean, essentially, and and the e-course was combining it all in one place and guiding you along. But for the most part, we have so much content now that I would rather speak in real time to issues of branding or business visioning versus, you know, spending that time promoting and iterating an Mm e-course. No, that makes sense. So are there any, I guess, metrics and social media could be one of these um, that you have consciously chosen not to track or not to pay attention to? I specifically don't pay attention to Instagram or Facebook. I love posting on Instagram and I 
directly send those posts to Facebook, but I don't really track the actual metrics. And I would say probably because those aren't spaces that we have much control over. We don't do Instagram advertising for ourselves. It's funny because we do these for some of our clients and we very much pay attention to conversions and click-throughs and all those things. Um, But for us, they're just not spaces that we have the resources to really go after. And, you know, algorithms and people's attention are always changing. So I think these are great places to have a presence. We have a presence in these places because if someone's looking to work with us and they want to see that we're credible or have a personality that they vibe with, these are places that we want to show up and share who we are. But in my experience, I just don't think it's super reliable for us as an agency to spend time trying to convert cold leads into clients on Facebook or Instagram. No, that makes sense. So let's kind of talk about how how you would approach growth. So if I asked you, how would you know if your agency was growing? What data would you point to what when you approach growth in your own agency? How do you measure or quantify whether or not you're being successful with the kind of growth that you want? Uh, we look at, again, cash. You know, we look at cash flow and we look at profit and loss. So we look at our income and we look at our expenses. And we do try and within those numbers, divide it out so that there's healthy growth, right? There's one thing to just making millions of dollars, but is that all just one client? You know, and in that Mm -hmm. case, that can be dangerous. So trying to diversify growth is important for us. And it's one of the reasons why as we started to grow into working with organizations and larger layered businesses that we kept working with creative entrepreneurs. And now we kind of think of creative entrepreneurs as one bucket that's almost like a retainer. Um, It's kind of hard to articulate, but I suppose we don't think of four separate creative entrepreneurs as four separate creative entrepreneurs. We kind of think of it as its own silo of our business. Mm -hmm. And so that's been really helpful to track and to really think about as we've worked with these organizations, we've thought, well, you know, they have a longer lead time than working with creative entrepreneurs. And so we've thought before, do we keep working with creative entrepreneurs? It's such a, it's a much, much lower price point than the organizations working with us because our process is, again, is so locked in and working with one decision maker versus, you know, a board of people Mm -hmm. and a committee of people. (laughs) It just takes a lot less time. It's a lot easier to work with one decision maker. So, Um, you know, as we're trying to make decisions like that, we've learned, okay, even though there's not as much income from these individuals, it really does help us with our cash flow. And so it's important to keep it. So we're looking at numbers like that and seeing, and then also we do a lot of gut checks and I don't know if this is good or bad, but we just check in with our gut and say, do we like the kinds of clients that we're working with? And do we enjoy the people that we're working with? And if the answer is yes, we continue down that path. So that's something that we really pay attention to whenever it comes to clients and cash. And then we're also looking at, you know, our expenses. So how we grow our team and how we grow our physical space. Even just last year, we doubled our physical space. And with that came a build out that required quite a bit of cash. So we're looking at things like that and just keeping that in mind as we budget year to year. 
Okay. And I will also say like we have an in-house bookkeeper now and I have two partners and they're one of my partners is looking more at the cash flow and we have quarterly meetings with our bookkeeper to really go over line by line what's happening in our budget, what the division looks like between the kinds of clients that we're working with, who are our top revenue generators whenever it comes to the kinds of clients that we're working with, where where do we want to pull back a little bit, where do we want to push a little bit. So we're constantly having meetings where we're blending strategy, growth, numbers, and gut checks all in one place. No, I, I and I think that's important. And I think um, when we think about growth, traditionally, there's this aspect of it's just the numbers. But what you mentioned about making sure that what the business that you're building is, is still aligned with the business that you as founders, as partners want to actually run. Um, because I think oh, when you absolutely. when you skip that gut check, you end up building a business that might be very profitable and, you know, from an outward, outside looking in, a very successful business. But if it's a business that you hate, that's not really a great measure of sustainable growth because you don't want to keep running it. Right. And one of the coolest things that's happened with our growth is that we've been able to hire incredible talent. So people who are able to do advertising and media buying, digital buying, you know, they're able to do that kind of stuff that we weren't able to do before for some of our clients mm -hmm. who have the funds and resources to throw a ton of money at Facebook ads because that is where their clients are. Um, we've been able to hire you know, account directors where before we were managing, we we're doing the creative and the client management. Now we have account directors who are helping with um, client strategy and project management. And it's just really great being able to hire people that you love and trust and who are extremely talented. So maybe a lot of our growth goes into staffing up. And it's not necessarily that, you know, as partners, we're making any more money than we ever were, but we're able to give other people the kinds of lives that they want to live and the kind of kinds of jobs that they want to work at. So that's really important to us as a company is looking at how flexible is our time? How how chained to our desks are we? We <laughs> don't want that for ourselves. And it's easy to think about growth. I guess it's it's easy to just keep growing, right? And that might it sound is. that might sound crazy for some people, but we could just keep growing to know. You could just end. keep doing the same thing that you're doing, and right. But it would take a level of we we wouldn't be able to discern who it is that we want to work with and how we want to grow. Um, we would probably be saying yes to a lot of things that we don't want to say yes to if our only goal was to grow. So for us, our agency right now is around eight people and I could see growing to about 12 people, but I don't imagine wanting to grow much larger than that. I don't imagine wanting to make an insane amount of profit just for the numbers. I really want to be careful about how we grow and make sure that we have the capacity for that kind of growth. So let's talk a little bit about the the team aspect. You know, as you're growing your team, how are you deciding uh, who to hire, when to hire, when, you know, when is the right point to hire and when are you just having a busy week? Right. Know, how do you make that distinction? Yeah, that's a really great question. And we've learned a lot whenever it comes to hiring. So one of the things that we've done at Braid Creative is we typically only hire senior level people. We have found that 
hiring people who are straight out of school or don't have a lot of experience doesn't work as well for us because a lot of us are wearing a lot of hats and we need, in order to work as efficiently as we do and to not have to track our time, we have to be able to trust and work with the most talented people. And those people have to have autonomy and decision-making power on their own. So we hire senior level people, which is expensive, but it will start to pay off as we Mm -hmm. get more clients that they can also service. And we really staffed up whenever we landed a really large client. We needed, we needed more help. And it was a contract that offered some security where we were able to guarantee that we had enough work to hire somebody. Um, And then from there, I would say whenever... Whenever it comes to like, are you just having a busy week versus do you need to hire? I have hired a junior designer and that's a little trickier. I'm kind of more of the creative director role in my business. I'm a graphic designer and it's what I love doing the most. And so I hired on a junior designer and really knowing that it's an investment and that I'm going to be spending a lot of time holding her hand and teaching her how to design to my level of design. So, you know, I don't know, hiring is just such a tricky thing whenever it comes to hiring someone who doesn't have a lot of experience because sometimes it's more work than you bargained for, right? It's like even adds more to your workload versus taking out of your workload. So that's definitely something that we like to consider whenever it comes to hiring. But I would say hiring someone whenever you feel like you're at 125% capacity, like you are overextended by 25%, and I would say for at least a month. That's whenever we start having the conversation. Like, okay, let's start looking at who we can hire. And sometimes it takes another two or three months in order to get someone. And that that two or three months also gives us time to reassess, okay, was it just a busy month or mm-hmm. could we really use the help? No, I that makes sense. So how has the way that you approach tracking information or making decisions, how has that kind of evolved for you all did you start out with that with the process that you have now or did that just kind of come naturally or did you specifically you know come with a way that this is how we're going to make decisions and this is what's going to come into it those um those quarterly meetings or you know how did you get there yeah that's a good question so everyone that i work with and myself included and my sister we all come from agency experience that we didn't own so we were all working for somebody else. And this is where I want to, you know, high five the day jobbers because you're learning so much by working Mm -hmm. for someone else and you're learning on their dime. So for anyone who wants to learn how to run an agency, I would say go work at an agency. Go work at one. You will see all the awful things. Absolutely. (laughs) You'll see all the things you want to change in your own agency. Exactly. And so a lot of, it's funny because the agency that I worked at, I was a senior art director, but I was never in management meetings or staff meetings, whereas some of my business partners that I work with now were. And so a lot of us have found that whenever it comes to management meetings and tracking things, a lot of it comes down to just being a good person and really being, you know, using logic, but then also blending that with emotions and gut checks along the way. So whenever it comes to the way that we run 
And it's funny because I actually have a couple of businesses. So I also work um, at Being Boss, which is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs and a book. And it turned into a whole other full-time business. So for a while, I was doing both. And just this year, I scaled back at Being Boss, which is still a place where I share a lot of stuff to be more full-time at Braid again. And the way that even those two businesses were run were very different. At Being Boss, I was having a weekly management meeting with my co-host and co-founder, Emily. Whereas at Braid, we maybe have a partner's meeting every other week. It feels like a good pace for us. So it really does depend on what the business requires whenever it comes to how you have these kinds of check-ins. But one of the things that I loved and learned from working at an agency is that every year we had a yearly retreat where everyone came together to review the numbers, to review the clients, and to review what was working and what wasn't working in a very transparent way. Mm. I love running our business that way and sharing with our team, okay, here's what we did this year, here's what we could be doing better, here's what the numbers looked like. Um, I just think that it's it's really cool to be able to do that with our team. And then, of course, quarterly with my partners, we're just looking at the numbers just to make sure that we're on track. Honestly, to make sure that we're paying enough money on our quarterly taxes. You know, <laughs> I mean, we're just always trying to stay on top of our numbers and our budget. And hiring an in-house bookkeeper has really helped with that as well. Okay. So if you could pick maybe one thing, if you could only measure one thing about your business, you had to base your decisions off of one metric, what would that be? One metric, okay. If you could pick one thing. If the IRA were not an issue and just you know <laughs> keeping track of your cash wasn't like a thing that you had to do in order to run a business. The one thing that I would track would be clients and it would be using the chalkboard method to track those clients. Okay, I, I dig it. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't yet? You know, there is one interesting thing that happened in the past couple of years that I would like to share, and it was with my newsletter. So I do like, I was talking earlier about social media and Instagram and not really tracking those things, but I would say I am interested in tracking my newsletter growth. It's not somewhere that currently my attention is on necessarily, but I do think that having a platform that you own and can control whenever it comes to attention and algorithm um, is your newsletter. And building that up is worthwhile. And even if it's only 100 people, those 100 people are going to be so much more engaged than you know posting a quote to Instagram. So, so one thing interesting that happened that I would like to share is that I grew our, our kind of plateauing newsletter by not caring about growing our newsletter anymore. So tell me about that. That's very interesting. Right? So here's what happened. We had plateaued at around 13,000 subscribers. And I had all of these opt-ins on our website, like content upgrades. And whenever we decided to implement the GDPR mandates, are you familiar with GDPR? Yep. Okay. So we wanted to go ahead and implement those standards into how we were running our online business or the online side of our business. So we decided to remove all opt-ins from our website. I just thought it would be easier just to remove all the content upgrades. And so previously, anytime we had like a checklist or a free ebook or any sort of downloadable resource, we would give that to our reader in exchange for their email address. So I removed all of these opt-ins 
And now everything is downloaded, downloadable straight from our website without needing to enter an email. And we went from 13,000 subscribers to almost 15,000 subscribers in what seemed like overnight. I mean, it was probably oh my goodness. a month total of that. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if it was magic or if it boosted trust in people and they were like, wow, this is so cool. I'm going to sign up anyway. Um, but it worked. And I hate to put it out there that like, it's kind of that idea that if you set it free and it really loves you, it'll come back to you. I feel that way about my newsletter list a little bit. And I will say since doing this, the newsletter list has kind of plateaued at almost 15,000 now. But it really is interesting that little boost and how that worked. Yeah, I I think that is um that's intriguing and I do the, the data part of me is like, well what what did that? How do you replicate that? But I wonder I if it was just an element of here are things that we thought were so valuable um that we were using them to trade for your email address. So you created something that had a lot of inherent value. Correct. Because you, know, you were that's yeah. what you were trying to do when you do, when you create an opt-in versus a piece of content. So I wonder if there was just, there was a lot of value there. And then when people hit the website and saw the kind of value you were delivering for free, that just made them think, hey, I'm sure the newsletter has even more stuff. Well, the newsletter, and also I say on my website, like if you just want to get this straight to your inbox and you don't want to have to remember to come back to our website, like sign up because I'm just sending you these blog posts and I'm not doing it often but whenever I do I have something to say and so maybe that's like to sum up our conversation in general I think it comes down to providing value and if you can just be consistently sharing what it is that you know in a generous way it will come back to you you don't have to focus on growth and making sure that you're keeping track of every metric because it will come back to you if you're just focused on growing your expertise and growing how you deliver to your clients and um, you just staying really consistent with that. No, I like that. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more? Yeah, my website is braidcreative.com. That's B-R-A-I-D creative.com. And then if you want to learn more about the chalkboard method, I've talked about it a lot on my podcast. So if you go to beingboss.club slash chalkboard, there's a whole podcast episode about it. I think that there's some downloadable resources there. You probably do have to give your email there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, and then Personally, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm and Kathleen, A-N-D Kathleen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this with us. Thanks for having me, Susan. It was fun. One of my favorite takeaways here was Kathleen's point about making room for growth. Not just in that open white space on your chalkboard, which is literal room for growth, but also applying that concept to the rest of your business. Do you have the operational foundations to be able to handle growth? Does your team have the capacity to take on more work? Growing just to grow or because you think you should is how so many business owners end up drowning in work completely overwhelmed. Taking the time to make sure you've got a solid foundation and real space for growth is a key part of the process. Kathleen's chalkboard method is a great step to make sure you are intentionally creating that space to grow. Next week, I'm going to talk to Maggie Patterson about pulling all of these ideas together. 
we'll talk about how measuring data was instrumental in Maggie being able to grow and how she approaches data throughout her business, how she's come to value her data, even though she's more of a creative, not a data first kind of person. So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Growing your business can cause a lot of problems. If you're only focused on adding new clients to your roster, you can quickly get underwater. Your time gets stretched thin, quality goes down, and results suffer. That's why measuring growth is about so much more than how many new clients you want to work with or how much revenue you want to add to the top line. I can help you understand growth from every angle, financial and operational. And my goal for you is to strategically and sustainably grow your business and still leave the office at 3 p.m. to take your kids to the park because having a life is actually kind of fun. So here's how it works. First, we complete a growth blueprint. That growth blueprint lays out exactly what you need to do to make growth possible for your company again. It's a deep dive into your business operations and financial health. Together, we'll go over your business goals and your vision for the future of your business. And then we'll map out where you're getting stuck and we'll figure out which parts of your system are blocking your growth. Then we'll enter the ramp up phase. I'll get to work setting up the necessary foundations to fix your business. This often includes implementing new software, defining your processes, and starting to make changes. Then finally, we'll enter the growth advisory and continual improvement phase. This is where the real magic happens. I'll handle your finances and software systems so you can focus on selling into your new capacity and giving your clients the best possible service. With a focus on improving and streamlining, your business will be able to handle whatever you can throw at it. Ready to learn more? I'd love to learn about your business and where you're stuck when it comes to growth. Shoot me an email. I'm Susan at scalespark.co and we'll set up a time to talk. I'd love to help you plan for strategic and sustainable growth without sacrificing your time, quality, or results. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafield with production assistance by Kristen Rundvik.